This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, February 10th, 2013. From the mountain to the mission. Good morning, Connection Church. I am so excited to be here today. I hope you are too. Woo! I was just next door. If you have your kids in the garage, ask them about the word revenge and peace. That's what they're learning about today in a very creative way that deals with whipped cream and all kinds of stuff. So that's all I'm going to say, but ask your kids about it. Also, if you've got your kids in the pre-K or the junior high or the senior high, talk to them about what they're experiencing today, too. It's an important time all through the week that we support our kids and help them learn and grow. My name's Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, we thank you for today, a day that we could rise up and sing about you and worship your holy name. God, you have led us here, whether we think that or not. Nobody's here by accident. And so we thank you for that, and we ask you to open up our hearts that we might receive this word and uh, be changed by it. We pray this in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody gathered said, Amen. Amen. About eight days later, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So here we have it. Here we have one of the great hinge points... In the earthly life of Jesus, he is ready. He's getting ready for his journey to Jerusalem, getting ready for this journey to the cross. Now, eight days earlier, he asked his disciples who the crowds said he was. They replied that some say John the Baptist, some say the prophet Elisha, others say other prophets from long ago. But then Jesus zeroed right in on those disciples and said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter was ready with the answer. Peter responded, you are the Messiah sent from God. And then Jesus went on to tell them what was about to happen, what was coming next, that that he would suffer, that he would be rejected by the religious officials, that he would be killed, and that three days later he would rise from the grave. He um, continued by saying that anyone who would come after him would have to suffer as they followed him. And as they shared his message, he said that whoever wants to save their life must lose it, and those who lose their lives will save them. And then, eight days later, here he is, climbing the mountain to pray, taking along his inner circle, Peter, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John. Now, we're not told what Jesus is praying about, but we kind of figure that there's a lot on his mind. I mean, he's about to take a journey, the journey to Jerusalem, that journey to the cross. Jesus already knew that he was going to suffer, that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be crucified. He already knew what he was going to be, what he was going to endure because he was divine yet human. It would seem that part of his prayer would be a prayer for strength, a prayer for courage as he made this journey. See, if you look in a scripture in your Bible, most Bibles kind of they have these little subtitles for the following section. The, most of the Bibles, this section of the Bible of scripture refers to it as the transfiguration or the transfiguration of the Lord. And, and that's because of the change that took place while Jesus was, was on the mountain, while he was praying. His, his face was transformed, transfigured, and, and his clothes, it tells us, became a dazzling white. Sounds kind of like one of those commercials for a detergent or a bleach, doesn't it? Dazzling. This is no detergent. This is no bleach. Uh, another translation says his clothes became as white as a fla- as bright as a flash of lightning. Uh, yet another version says uh, uh, describes him as blinding white. The New King James version says his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Whatever happened, there was some kind of a supernatural change that altered Jesus' appearance and made his clothes radiate. Can you imagine what that must have been like to have seen that? It must have just been unbelievable. It kind of reminds me when we read that of when the angels visited the shepherds in the field at the beginning of Jesus' life, uh, uh, the night when he was born, and, and we're reading Scripture uh, that as they announced uh, his birth, that the glory of the Lord shone around them. There, there's like this radioactive force that we see at moments when God is present. Uh, reminds us, you know, people who have that kind of a death experience and they and they get a glimpse of heaven and they always it's always that unbelievable dazzling light whiteness that glowing of the heaven. Then they come back to share it and it's. In some way, this Jesus is glowing with this heavenly brightness, with this supernatural, almost radioactive power of God. So here we have Jesus and James and John and Peter on the mountaintop, and this transfiguration is taking place, this supernatural force. And then we read in Scripture, and we're focused on Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, This supernatural force brings Moses and Elijah into the picture. And they're standing there talking with Jesus about Jesus' departure in this world that would soon be fulfilled in Jerusalem. It was Moses who uh, God used to bring the law you know, down to the people of Israel, the law, the the Ten Commandments and other laws about following God and being obedient. It was Elijah who was the greatest prophet of all times. So here we have Jesus 
and all of these people. Now, Jesus spoke a lot about the law and about the prophets, referring to the Hebrew scriptures. That's what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. And the law and the prophets together represents the story of Israel and their relationship to God right up until Jesus. So this meeting on the mountain, it's an incredible meeting because it symbolizes what went before and what will happen now as Jesus continues on that journey to Jerusalem, continues that journey to the cross. It's kind of like our B.C. before Christ and our A.D. after Christ. So here you have the prophet and and Moses and Jesus and then Jesus and the disciples. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Here we have Peter again. Gotta love Peter. What I don't understand is how Peter and the others had fallen asleep during this important time, but they fell asleep. So here we have Peter suggesting that they put up three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Elisha, and one for Moses, both a memorial, you know, to mark the spot, and a place to take shelter, to stay, to stay right there on the mountain. This is certainly a moment to remember, a meeting of the old and the new, right there, coming together, the law and the prophet and the savior of Mm. the world. But these shelters uh, are are more than just memorials. Uh, You know, this is a mountaintop experience in every sense of that word. Can you imagine being there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop and all a glut. I mean, it's just incredible. For, for Peter, James, and John, this must have been incredible. You ever had a mountaintop experience? If you have, you probably wanted to stay there, didn't you? Yeah. It's so good you just want to stay there. You know, it's like, it doesn't get any better than this. I would just love to continue in this place. Just continue experiencing what I'm experiencing now. Let me stay on the mountaintop. I think that's what Peter's thinking. You know, as he, as he makes this offer, yeah. Can, let's just stay a while. Let's just hang out. Let's just enjoy this moment and let's let it last. Let's, uh, Let's put up some shelters and stick around a while up here. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Mm. All good things come to an end, don't they? And this moment, uh, it passed pretty quickly. Just as Peter suggesting that they hang around a while, a cloud overtakes them, and the voice of God the Father once again claims 
Jesus as his son. We're reminded here of many years before, about three, at the start of Jesus' ministry, when when he was being baptized by John there in the river and the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice, again, God the Father, a voice from heaven saying, you are my son with whom I, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And so in that same moment here on the mountain, Moses and Elijah are gone. And we're back to Jesus there alone with Peter and James and John. Well, here's what we're told that next. The next day, after they came down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And so, as we read here, the next day, they come down from the mountain. And immediately, I can see it, Jesus comes off the mountain, boom, the crowd comes up. And someone in the crowd needs his attention, his healing, his prayer. And he brought, if we read later on in the scripture, he brought healing to the boy with the seizures. But it's back to reality, isn't it? <laughs> so much for the mountaintop. Boom. Back back to work. <laughs> back to the mission. Uh, the mountaintop experience didn't last very long, did it? Wasn't long. But they usually don't, do they? It was just long enough for what it was meant to be, though. A transition from the old to the new, from the law and the prophets to the Savior. From the way it was to the way it's going to be, from business as usual to a new a new thing in Christ as he heads to the cross to offer his life for you and for me. A pivot point, a turning point, as Jesus heads toward Jerusalem and the cross. Mountaintop experiences, they are wonderful. And we hope that you've had at least one. But the thing is, they don't last. They don't last. I don't know what your mountaintop experience might look like. For me, I've, I've had a couple where I just have experienced maybe a washing or a, a cleansing or a feeling of peace. Last week, for me, I was struggling with something that really had a grip on me, and uh, I was praying, and just for a moment, I heard, you're already free, so live in that freedom. For me, that's a mountaintop experience. But then, there's life. And so, that is true for Jesus as well. Jesus couldn't stay in the mountaintop because that's not where the mission is. The mission was here on earth among the people. The mountaintop was not where God called Jesus to be in mission, but 
right on earth. And that is true for you and me as well. It's when Jesus came down from the mountain that he continued to heal and deliver and preach and teach. And it's also the place where he had to carry out his ultimate mission to journey to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, allowing himself to be the sacrifice for all of us. But here's the thing about mission, whatever your mission is, and if you don't know what your mission is, maybe today's the day to pray about, God, what is my mission? And if the mission you're on doesn't seem like the mission you're supposed to be on, God, give me a new mission. But here's the thing about mission. About when we come out of the mountain on top experience and back down into the valley. In the valley, things are tough and messy, aren't they? And then like the mountaintop where everything's glowing (laughs) and glorious. Back down in the valley, things are tough and they're messy and they're not always easy and they're challenging and we get our hands dirty and we cry and we sweat and it's tough when we're in the mission field unlike the mountaintop where we're getting those godly glimpses of heaven in the valley when when we're in the mission field what we usually see is much more earthly much more human much more challenging the mountaintop is exhilarating And that's why, like Peter, we would love to stay there, wouldn't we? We'd love to set up a little shelter and just make that our home. (laughs) Yeah, but we can't. Because it's in the valley, while on the mission God gives us, that we we get to share those godly glimpses with those around us. With those who are hurting and hungry and in need of healing. And that's never neat or easy or simple or not heartbreaking at times. But it's necessary and God-given and ultimately more satisfying than any mountaintop experience we might have. You know, when, when things get real and messy and... It just sweaty and dirty in our hands right in the midst of things. You know, we might dream of the mountaintop, but in the very core of our being, in the core of our soul, we know that it's in the valley that we've got to be in order to respond to God's call to care for those around us as we respond to God's call to mission in this world. And so when Jesus came down off that mountain, it did get messy and challenging, just like it does for us. And yet, it was on the road to Jerusalem, to the cross, and not on the mountain that Jesus traveled to carry out his mission, the mission that he had been given, because that's where God's work gets done. And so for the next several weeks, from next from Wednesday night right up until Easter. That's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking about at how Jesus carried out the mission and how that applies to our lives as Jesus headed to the cross. Yeah, we've mentioned a couple times this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, 
That's a, that's a construct of the church. You, you can read your Bible cover to cover. It's not going to say anything about Ash Wednesday. It's something the church started. Uh, they call it Ash Wednesday because what we do is we take the palm leaves from last Palm Sunday a year ago when we wave the palm branches and we burn them and we take the ashes. And if you're open to that during the service, we'll put the sign of the cross in ash on your forehead. And it's a symbol a symbol of our mortality. You know, at funerals, we share from ashes we come to ashes we will return. It's a symbol that we're all human and that this earthly existence will pass. The ashes represent, they also represent our need to be humble in the sight of the Lord in, in, in light of our sinful nature. It's a, and you're reading the scriptures of how they dressed in sackcloth or like a burlap and ashes as a sign of humility before the Lord. It's a sign of humility. God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Ashes and a cross on our foreheads. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we'll have a service and we hope each and every one of you is there because that service begins a season in the church known as Lent. Again, you won't find the word Lent in Scripture. I think it comes from some... Uh, old uh, English term uh, which uh, meant lengthen because this is the time of year when the days get longer. It says we're heading to Easter. That's why they call it Lent. It's a season of, of getting in touch of where we stand with God, of how we fall short of our, again, our, our mortality and our hum- need to be humble before the Lord. It's a season where we try to get more in tune, where we uh, get very... Uh, focused on prayer and devotion and meditation and possibly even, wow, fasting to uh, be more, even more focused on that prayer. Many people give something up for Lent. You might have heard, you know, what are you going to give up for Lent? Oh, I'm going to give up chocolate. Well, uh, it could be computer, it could be TV time. And the whole point of that isn't to lose weight, but it is to spend time with God, to transfer that time and spend time to God or have maybe hunger when you miss a meal to reach to to God and spend that additional time in prayer. It creates even more of a dependency and a need for God. Lent, a time to realize that we are sinners saved by grace, that unconditional love, that we do fall short to the glory of God, but God loves us so much that we're just taken in and and welcomed because we have a need for a Savior. It's a time when we have an opportunity from now till Easter to go on that journey, to follow Jesus to the cross, realizing that he and only he is the one who can save us, that through his death, his journey to the cross, he paid the price for our sin. What an awesome thing he did. I mean, there aren't even words for that. The price too great for us to pray, and that through his resurrection from the grave, I mean, he's dead, and he became alive again. For what does that mean for us? That in Christ we get to be in the glory of God one day when we meet Jesus face to face. What an incredible thing that we can experience. But this time is this journey from now till Easter. Yeah. You know, uh, traditionally, historically, there's a, there's a, 
a church calendar. And I don't mean here a connection where, you know, what night the trustees meet or what night, not that, not that. But the church at large calendar where there's certain seasons in the church, like, like, like Ash Wednesday and with Lenten season, which leads up to Easter, this time of preparation. We, uh, if you've been here a while, uh, we have a season leading up to, uh, Christmas called Advent. It's a time of preparation. There are other things on that, uh, big church calendar that, just kind of the seasons of the church through the year. And and this day, if you look on that church calendar, every year, this Sunday before Ash Wednesday is Transfiguration of the Lord Sunday. So many churches across the world are talking about this very scripture. A lot of them preach according to that calendar. They would be preaching what the same uh, scripture today that we are. And if you Look at next year's. It would be on the... And it's always the Sunday immediately before Ash Wednesday because we celebrate this mountaintop experience before we go into the valley of Lent, which prepares us for the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's that mountaintop experience Jesus had before he goes back down into the valley as he heads into Jerusalem heading toward his death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection from the grave. You know, as we said, mountaintop experiences are wonderful. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah, uh, you're not going to get any. That's why they're called mountaintop experiences, you know. But that's not where the mission takes place, is it? That's not where the work takes place. That's not where we're the hands and feet of Christ on It's not where it took place for Jesus, and it's not where it takes place for you and me. It's not on the mountaintop where God calls us to be in mission. It's where He we celebrate who God is and the glorious God, but that's not where we the mission takes place. We gotta come back down off that mountain. We gotta get in the valley. The valley of our own lives and the valleys of the lives around us in order to live out the mission God gives us to be the hands and feet of God in the world. And you know what? In the valley, it gets challenging and it gets messy, but that's where it happens. So today, today we celebrate those mountaintop experiences that God gives us, and we remember and learn about possibly for the first time what we call, what the Bible identifies as the transfiguration of Christ, that hinge point between the old and the new, that was and that is to come. But we also need to remember that Jesus did not stay on the mountain, that he came back into the valley where the crowds met him, where he continued the mission that he came for to bring us, to bring all of us wholeness and healing to bring us eternal salvation and freedom from our sin, to bring us the mission. I don't know what your mission is, but we all have one because we've been designed and created for God with a mission. It could be being a witness in your place of work. It's tough out there to be a light, but that's our mission. That could be your mission. It could be serving in some way. I don't know. Back 10 years ago, God like put these words in my head. My mission is to be ready to respond when God interrupts. That's my mission. 
to be ready to respond when God interrupts. What is your mission? We all have one. So today might be the day to consider that, to think about what your God-given mission is. Because when we live into that, we live into a even deeper and more wonderful, close relationship with Jesus. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants for all of our lives. Oh, we need those mountaintops where we kind of get fed and recharged. And, oh, I just want to stay there. But that's not where we stay. Because we need to come out, come down, get out of our little cocoons, that safe place with Jesus. But actually, he calls us to risk for the kingdom to be the hands and feet. Because that's where God's work gets done right where we're at, right where God puts us. That's the good news. Let's live it and let's believe it. Amen? Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for this scripture found in Luke chapter 9. Wow. What a wonderful scripture where we learn about the mountaintop experience, the, the radiance of, of God, of, of how this all came together, the old and the new. And God, we do want to kind of stay there or have that experience, but we know that you call us to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world and just do your mission, do whatever you've called us to do. So help us figure out what that is if we don't know. And we thank you for the purpose and plan that you have for each one of our lives, for creating us unique and special. God, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day where they'd say, okay, come into my life. I'm a sinner. I can't do this. I'm messing up so much, God. Lead me. I also pray, God, that if there's anybody here who's just kind of confused about what you've called them to do or be, that they would get just a little glimpse of it or maybe just the whole big deal of it. I don't know, God, but I know that you are in that business to talk to us and to lead us. So I trust you in all that. Thank you, God. Lord, we give this time to you and we bless your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody gathered said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers. Thank you.